Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Crash, Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK Geek Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 466, recorded tonight on Monday the 19th of December 2022 at 230536. You wouldn't believe how many false starts I've had this evening. It is amazing. The moment I hit record, all sorts of noises from outside start up. Immediately cars start zooming past the studio. I don't know why that is. Moaning aside, I am back. <laughs> oh, just had a little nap before starting. And that's left me more tired than ever. So I do have my 7-Up and a woolly hat with a bowl on top nearby. And I'm leaning on my stick because my back is giving me a bit of problems tonight. That is a hideous picture. <laughs> and strangely Christmassy as well. Let's start off with a revisit journal tonight. Because of my lack of attention to both the Melkor suit and the Melkor suit actor in episode 463 when we talked about the Doctor Who story, The Keeper of Traken, I have a few more thoughts on that story that I want to tell you before getting on to the main subject of today's show, which is Legopolis, broadcast in 1981. As we have already done a revisit of the Keeper of Traken, I don't have to go over old ground again. Just tell you my extra thoughts. First of all, that suit I thought was really quite excellent, portraying a strangely immobile but artistically appropriate modern art style sculpture. It embodies sadness, power, and the deeply sinister. The Melkor suit was about seven feet tall, made of moulded plastic. It was designed by the set designer, at least he provided the references, Tony Burrow, and made by costume designer, Amy Roberts. It was based, with limited success, according to Tony Burrow, on a reference photograph of a sculpture from the Tate Gallery. Perhaps Umberto Boccioni's Italian futurist form unique della continuità nello spazio from 1913. Credit goes to the Shannon Sullivan Doctor Who site for that. This last part, the specific sculpture, is unconfirmed, but I've seen a picture of it and I can see the connection. So I was right about describing it as modern art style, at least in... 463. The Melkor suit actor, 
was Graham Cole, an actor I know well from UK TV, and especially the UK TV show The Bill. There is a publicity shot of him looking extremely uncomfortable in the suit, and also uncharacteristically mustachioed, but still managing to do a really wonderful job portraying the evil Melkor. I don't think suit actors get enough credit. I'm not sure he was credited for this role. That is it for The Suit. Though we still haven't finished with The Keeper of Traken, I've got a few more interesting little tidbits. On other media, the novelization was written by Terence Dix and published by Target in 1982. The Keeper of Traken was released on VHS videotape in 1993, and DVD along with Legopolis and Castrovalva, as part of the New Beginnings box set. Yes, the canny BBC marketing department strikes again. The late Anthony Ainley. Yes, another interesting tidbit. Was really, really sporty, loved cricket, and was apparently reintroduced to it as an adult by his friend, Sophie Audred, the actress who played Ace later on as Sylvester McCoy's companion. I can't find anything to back this up other than what I read in Wikipedia and my wild assumptions. I don't know what, if any, relevance this has to the story, if anything, other than a bit of interesting extra waffle. Also, This is the cherry on the top. I thought I'd already mentioned this in 463. In fact, I'm pretty sure I did, but on the slightest off chance I didn't, here it is, that glorious piece of thorough investigative journalism again. Or maybe for the first time. I'm not sure. Despite having really detailed show notes, This happens now and again. Thank the gods, I was once a newspaper columnist and not a reporter. Opinion and supposition are so much easier. Wait, what am I doing? I'm going off on a tangent. I'm making this about me. How did I make this about me? I have been doing this podcast for too long. And that's it for the extra stuff regarding the Keeper of Traken, which we talked about in 463. Let us leave that all behind now and talk about a completely new classic Doctor Who story, and that is Legopolis. A aside before I do that, though, if you're hearing a difference in tone from the last episode 465. I am again using the short SM58 microphone and will edit this podcast at least partly with the JVC S160 Flats headphones. This is in complete contradiction to what I did and said in 465. 
I'm not going to explain that now, but I will, you'll be glad to hear, offer a brief and no doubt extremely boring explanation next time. And now, let us talk about Logopolis. Let's start off, as usual, with some notes. The Fourth Doctor is played by Tom Baker. His companions are Adric, played by Matthew Waterhouse, Nyssa, played by Sarah Sutton, Tegan, played by Janet Fielding. As for notable cast, Peter Davison is a very well-known British actor who played a beloved character on a TV show, the hapless Tristan Farnan. He did that pre-Doctor Who on All Creatures Great and Small, and I remember that show very well, as it was one of the few shows the whole family watched. Janet Fielding is a UK-based Australian actress. She has various acting credits, but the one I chose to single out was a very excellent geek credit on Hammer House of Horror, the episode titled Charlie Boy. The detective inspector, who has a brief appearance in this story, was played by an actor named Tom Georgeson. He's still around. He is another frequent face on British television, particularly when cast as a copper, including on the bill, like his colleague, the Melkor suit actor Graham Cole. The director this time around was Peter Grimwade. Peter Grimwade was with a Beeb since 1960. He worked his way up from production assistant on Doctor Who on Spearhead from Space. He was a model shot director on The Robots of Death. And from what I remember of The Robots of Death, he probably did a good job. That's such an excellent and probably the best classic Doctor Who story. He was a director of the occult TV show that we will no doubt cover at some point, The Omega Factor, on the episode Out of Body, Out of Mind. He was also a director on Old Who of Full Circle, Kinder and Earthshock, and the writer of Planet of Fire. He was finally ditched by John Nathan Turner for failing to invite JNT to a cast and crew dinner. He denied that he singled out JNT later on, but JNT was having none of it. He, Peter Grimwade, said he wanted to invite the producer out separately from the cast and crew. It all smells a bit funny and shows you how petty people can be, even at the top. Elon Musk. The writer was Christopher H. Bidmead, the producer John Nathan Turner. As for locations, there was on-location filming in London, in various places, including on the embankment, in Buckinghamshire, in Berkshire, 
All that happened in 1980, and then there was filming at BBC Television Centre in studio in Shepherd's Bush in 1981. Broadcast. This was story 115 of season 18. It was the season 18 finale. It was the seventh serial of season 18, following The Keeper of Traken, covered in 463. I don't know how many times I'm going to repeat that tonight. And consisted of four around 25-minute episodes, and was first broadcast from the 28th of February to the 21st of March, 1981. Let's talk media for a moment. It was released on VHS in 1992, released in 2007 as well as the New Beginnings Trilogy on DVD, which included The Keeper of Trakan, Logopolis, and Castrovalva. Anything for a trilogy. There were other releases as well, including a special showing at some cinemas in America in 2019. And the writer also did the novelization for Target that was published in 1982, and also read the audiobook released in 2010. Whew! That was longer than usual. I don't know what's happening to my notes. They're supposed to be brief notes. They seem to be expanding. Anyway, as usual, let's talk Zeitgeist, UK Zeitgeist, and tell you what happened on that first day of broadcast back in 1981. I could find nothing apart from the extremely repulsive fact that Joe Dolce is of Joe Dolce Musical Theatre, horrific earworm, Shut Up Your Face, was number one in the UK. I remember that song very well, and now it's in my mind again. For God's sake, do not Google this, do not look it up on YouTube. You will never get that out of your head, and you'll end up in an insane asylum. Thanks a lot, Joe Dolce. Also, as usual, let us roll our audio clip, and then I'll tell you what happens. Rolling clip in three, two, one. Must be intelligent life at the end of this lot. Adric! Nissa! An alliance with you, Doctor? In the circumstances, yes. Doctor! Doctor! It's the end. Okay, hope you enjoyed that. During that pause, I was deploying the bobble hat. The bobble hat has been deployed. The remaining 7-Up has been quaffed. Let me now tell you what happens in Logopolis. The Master's TARDIS, disguised as the Doctor's police box, eats a policeman in Barnet by the side of the road, and we hear the Master's echoing laughter. In the TARDIS, the Doctor tells Adric that the TARDIS is falling apart due to age, entropy specifically. Then the TARDIS cloister bell rings, signifying serious trouble. So instead of going immediately to Gallifrey, 
The Doctor uses this as an excuse to go to Earth and materialises around a real wooden Earth British police box in order to record its exact dimensions. He does this so that he can ask, on his next trip to Logopolis, the Logopolitans to use their special mathematics block transfer computation to restore the TARDIS. Unfortunately, the aforementioned police box is in actuality, as we have already said, the Master's TARDIS. The Master then rematerializes his TARDIS around the Doctor's, leading to a confusing, complicated loop in which one TARDIS is inside the other, and vice versa. On Earth, a new airline stewardess, Tegan Yovanka, and her aunt are on the way to the airport so that she can begin her new job. Her aunt's unreliable sports car breaks down, leaving them stranded near the police box. Tegan goes in to seek help in the police box, and ends up in the doctor's TARDIS, while her aunt unluckily enters the same space, but instead enters the Master's TARDIS, whereupon she is set upon, shrunk, and murdered by the Master. Goodbye, Auntie. The Doctor exits the TARDIS, is confronted by the police, who demand an explanation for the red sports car, empty except for the dead shrunken policeman, and Tegan's aunt. The Doctor sees a mysterious pale humanoid watcher in the distance, then he and Adric, through a ridiculous bit of subterfuge that includes Adric riding off on a policeman's bicycle and then crashing it, escape to the River Thames. And there they see the Watcher again. The Doctor goes to talk with the Watcher and leaves Adric behind to wonder what's going on. Finally, they travel to Logopolis, where the Doctor seeks the help of their leader, a chap called the Monitor. The TARDIS shrinks during the attempt to fix it, due to the Master's killing off of Logopolitans while on a gleeful killing spree. In other words, without key Logopolitans adding to this calculation, the calculation goes wrong. In order to force the Logopolitans to explain why a facsimile of Earth's Pharos Project radio telescope has been duplicated on Logopolis, the master, with an enslaved Nyssa, silences Logopolis with some kind of device, and that halts all other block transfer computation planet-wide. The monitor begs him to stop, but by the time he does stop, it is too late. The planet begins to disintegrate, and then the universe itself begins to succumb to entropy. The Monitor explains that Logopolis is the keystone, the causal nexus, maintaining the universe by using block transfer computation, 
and the Pharos dish to create charged vacuum and what's more? CVEs. We've heard of those before, haven't we? Those are what led the Doctor into eSpace. And all that is there to prevent the end of the universe. In other words, Logopolis is stopping things falling apart completely. Even the Master is now concerned, and he and the Doctor agree a truce. They put into action the Master's brilliant plan to save the universe, and they leave for the Pharos Project on Earth in the Master's TARDIS. Adric and Nyssa follow in the Doctor's TARDIS, piloted by the Pale Watcher, who takes them outside the universe, which is where they witness Traken destroyed. They then make their way to the Pharos Project, with Adric now piloting the TARDIS. At the Pharos Project, the Doctor and the Master initially work together, but the Master betrays him and then holds the whole universe hostage. After disconnecting a cable and foiling the Master's evil plan, the Master escapes, but the Doctor plummets from the radio dish. Watched by his companions, he lies dying. He remembers old friends and foes, then melds with the Pale Watcher who walks towards him and they join together. The Pale Watcher is his future self and then regenerates into the Fifth Doctor. Okay, that's what happens. Let me tell you what I thought. I've been dying to do this. Okay, first of all, (laughs) this took me longer than it should have done for a lot of reasons, but one of the most frustrating reasons is I couldn't quite work out the sequence of both the TARDIS's movements within one another. All this loopy recursion made by head spin, as we'll soon find out after the Italian futurism of the Keeper of Traken and the mathematical oddity of Logopolis, things are going to continue to become increasingly arty in a weird Etcher-like way as we hurtle towards Castrovalva. Though, honestly, I haven't revisited... Castrovalva in many, many years. So I could be wrong. Maybe we'll go off on a completely different type of story next time. We'll see. Regarding Tegan's aunt's sports car, (laughs) it is a very, very British problem to own a vintage British red sports car and having it constantly break down. That has been a joke since I don't know when. A good 30, maybe 40 years, even before this was broadcast. And it's still one of those jokes about old British sports cars. I must say, it is getting quite noisy outside, and now it's raining as well. I hope none of this is coming through. Okay, my next thought... Oh yeah, the Doctor's fleeting interactions with the Pale Watcher figure 
is always filled with pathos. Partly that's down to the music, it's also down to the filming, seeing the figure far in the distance. Just having him there as we move towards a regeneration is an effective poetic and I've definitely felt deeply sad foreshadowing device. Logopolis and the Logopolitans. I like the idea that somewhere out there, far in the depths of the universe, are an ancient bunch of people who are holding the whole thing together. <laughs> it reminds me of Time Bandit's rebellious cosmic maintenance crew, or, on a smaller scale of course, <laughs> the planet builders of Magrathea from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There is something satisfying and very interesting about seeing how things might work in the background. That feeling that you haven't been let into the full story, and if you could only peek behind the curtain, you would realise things aren't quite what they seem. On an even smaller scale, it was what attracted me to Dean Motter's Mr. X, a guy who knows all the hidden ins and outs of the city. He'll go in one door and come out some window or on a roof because he has the plans. Yeah, I like that. Let's talk about block transfer computation for a moment, which sounds very real, but is completely fictional. It is maths with externalised physical effects. What a crazy and creative fictional idea that is. That simple, well, okay, incredibly complex calculations can have an effect on matter. That is absolutely fascinating. And just to think, it was just a throwaway piece of fiction dreamt up by Bidmead for a few episodes of Doctor Who. I find that amazing. Let's talk character development. We learn that the Master is brilliant. He is also, however, a psychopathic serial killer, and not averse to ending the entire universe if it doesn't capitulate to his whims. In other words, the Master is a nasty bastard. Nyssa. I am slowly warming to Nyssa. It is taking me longer than I feel it should do for a companion, though in the last episode of Logopolis, seeing her face as she mourns the loss of both of her parents and her planet and her whole civilization made me feel empathy. That scene almost certainly was influenced by Princess Leia witnessing the destruction of Alderaan in Star Wars, if it wasn't, I don't believe it. I'm sure it was influenced by that. On the other hand, I immediately liked Tegan. Tegan, Yovanka, is down to earth. She is very human. Also very resourceful. For example, in thinking quickly and distracting some security guards at the Ferris Project, so that the Doctor and the Master can make a run for it. 
And regarding that scene with the guards, with all the running, there is some extremely funky music as the Doctor and Master make a run towards the radio telescope dish. <laughs> very, very funky. For some extra geek cred, the Doctor goes 80s microcomputer geeky as he explains non-volatile bubble memory. Then, he says, he'll have to go to Earth to find a computer to read it. At one point, I'm sure I even saw the top casing of a BBC Micro on a pile of discarded parts, and on top of a bank of instruments, a Sony PVM CRT. A monitor, no doubt, borrowed from the Beeb Studios. All that stuff made me feel very nostalgic for the 80s. Even though I wasn't really a big fan of the 80s, I did feel some nostalgia. Ah, 8-bit computing. The Pharos Project on Earth was a, of course, fictional British version of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And the thought that an alien could repurpose SETI to blow us all up is ironically funny. <laughs> and it's the kind of scenario that I didn't think of before, because you usually think, yeah, it could go wrong, they'll find us and they'll invade. Not that a couple of aliens will come down and almost blow up the entire universe using our own equipment. Yeah, let's worry that whoever's out there might be insane, like the Master. Ah, oh, bet you uh, no one's taken that into account before. <laughs> the TARDIS shrunk to comedic proportions by the Logopolitan's cocked-up calculations is straight out of New Who's flatline. Do you remember Clara communicating with the Doctor who's still full-size through his extremely small TARDIS? <laughs> Ridiculous. Ah. Time Lord Engineering. Fantastic. Overall, Logopolis was great. A great end to Tom Baker's time as a Doctor, and a great beginning for Peter Davison as the Fifth Doctor. It was, though I thought, overly complex. And much like Warrior's Gate, too much happens in the last episode. And so, goodbye, Tom Baker. We will miss you. And hello, Peter Davidson. And those are my thoughts on Logopolis. First broadcast in 1981 and rewatched by me very recently. Whew. This was a difficult one. Every damn thing aches now. I really need a long, cool drink. The only other thing I have left to say is... in the trivia section, and that is... that is it from me, Roy, recording from Earth, Sector 8023, in the third quadrant. At least, that's where Adric says I am. 
which I think's bloody presumptuous of Adric. I could be using a relay station on Earth and actually beaming my transmission from somewhere completely different. Who knows? Finally, let me know. Yes, that was supposed to rhyme with let it go, but please don't do that. Do the opposite. Get in touch. Please let me know your views on this, Logophilus. In terms of what I missed, probably quite a lot. Or any other story from Old Who. It can't have escaped your notice that I put a lot of effort into making these shows, so it is a pity that listener interaction has again petered off. It's basically dropped to nothing. <laughs> Not even basically is accurate. It has dropped off to zero communication with the audience. So, say hello talk to me about Classic Doctor Who, or any other geeky thing for that matter. I am always happy to hear from you. And that is it for tonight. This feels like it was longer than usual. I'm pretty certain it was longer than usual for a Doctor Who revisit. There will be another one soon. The next one you hear will just be a general geek episode. Please join me for that. I hope your Christmas preparations are all going well, and you are all free of Christmas stress, though I know that's not true because I went shopping today, and I was reasonably free of stress, but no one else was. Humans. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Matur, a writer. Matur is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R, and you can find more about me or get in touch at roymatur.com. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen, recommend it to a friend or mortal enemy, or click on the contact or support link on the website. I've now said three or four times, please get in touch, so please get in touch. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. You were listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show the UK Geek Science Fiction Fantasy and Horror Podcast, episode 466, recorded on Monday the 19th of December 2022, and the time at the end of the show is 23.59.07. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!